Today's episode of More Than One Thing is sponsored by Joe Malone London. I love how something as simple as the warmth and fragrance of a burning candle has the ability to envelop your senses and transport you to a fond memory, which is so important now as we spend more time at home. Joe Malone London has always looked at stories and moments in time to capture those magic moments in their candles, and I'm excited to tell you more about their new townhouse collection. The Joe Malone London Townhouse Collection is inspired by celebratory scenes in a classic London townhouse. Each of the six scented candles has its own specific mood, unique design, and an enchanting story to tell. What truly captured my attention was the elegantly understated design of the vessels themselves, carefully crafted in unglazed white ceramic and detailed with the finer features of Georgian architecture. To discover the Joe Malone London Townhouse Collection for yourself, visit joemalone.com. Welcome to More Than One Thing with me, Athena Calderon, the podcast focused on non-traditional career paths, creative endeavors, and the ever-evasive multi-hyphenate. We live in a world today which encourages us to be the multifaceted humans that we are, though we're still subjected to antiquated pressures to follow a single path to success. But there is so much beauty to be found in our complexities, and I want to encourage you to embrace your full self. This is a podcast about taking the road less traveled, to find your passion and purpose while navigating the hurdles and hoops we all jump through on this personal and creative journey. I'm your host, Athena Calderon, author, interior designer, chef, recipe developer, entertaining expert, creative director, stylist, product designer, storyteller, editor, and certified oversharer. Does that sound like an insanely long way to describe my career? Well, it is, and that's exactly why we're all here. Every week, I'll be sitting down with another multi-hyphenate who I admire deeply to talk through their struggles, vulnerabilities, and eventual successes throughout their long and winding journey to where they are now. Because it's in other stories, I believe we can always see a little piece of ourselves. Karen Elson has been one of fashion's favorite faces since she was a teenager. She graced every major international magazine from Vogue to W to Harper's Bazaar. And in 2005, she won the British Fashion Award for Best Model. And of course, her runway resume is equally legendary. She's been a Chanel bride and walked the Marc Jacobs show seven months pregnant. Oh, and Alexander McQueen crafted his runway art piece, Deliverance, with her in mind. The word supermodel seems appropriate here. Yet, when it comes to Karen Elson, her uber-successful career in fashion is only one of her many hyphens. Since childhood, Karen has been writing music, using her lyrics to make sense of the world and transform daily life into poetry. In 2010, she led us into her musical mind with her debut album, The Ghost Who Walks. 
Immediately, it was clear that this was the work of a fully formed artist. She's taken her creative vision to the screen, directing her own music videos, and in 2017, released her beautiful sophomore album, Double Roses. An activist, Karen sits on the board of the Model Alliance, an organization fighting to end sexual harassment in the modeling industry. She is also a long-term ambassador for Joe Malone London. And did I mention her memoir, The Red Flame, was released October 13th? She writes about it all, from the pressure to pose nude as a young model, to those joyful moments when the makeup, the lighting, the clothes all came together and she felt totally herself. I cannot recommend it enough. It's a long way to go from Oldham, England, the small town where she was born into a rough neighborhood where the bullies were relentless. But, she says, there was always this inner voice saying, I'm bigger than this. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to escape. And she did. At 16 years old, she hopped on a train to London, and two years later, on her 18th birthday, Elson appeared on the cover of Italian Vogue. The rest is history. Now, Karen spends most of her time in her home in Nashville, Tennessee, where she writes music in the early hours before her two kids, Scarlett and Henry, awaken. Karen Elson, welcome to More Than One Thing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have a conversation about creativity with you. I have actually a funny thing to reveal in that when I first was developing the idea for more than one thing and kind of doing research about multi-hyphenates and what that means, I stumbled upon an interview that you gave and you were kind of always at the top of my list of someone to have on the podcast. Oh, I love that. Everything you were saying in the opening, you know, I feel a kinship to everything that you said because there isn't just, it's never a straight road, a career path, especially a creative career path. You know, it's never just getting from point A to point B. It is just a long meandering twists and turns, unexpected, you know, roadblocks sometimes. And it's never just one thing, you know? I mean, I think to be a creative person, it, it doesn't mean that you should limit yourself in what that medium is. I'm a creative woman. There's so many avenues I want to travel down. Yeah, I'm just a big believer in following your heart. That's it. (laughs) I love that. Can you speak a little bit about kind of your journey within music and even as a young child, always having this inner life that you needed to express through song? Yes. So when I was younger, I was quite an introvert, and which anybody who knows me now would call that a lie. And I always felt like I didn't fit in. So music for me was the escape and it was my inner world. And I would always sing as a child. I was always in the school choirs. I was always making up songs in my head, me and my friend, my dear friend who lived across the street, Joanne, we would sort of, you know, daydream about being in bands and whatnot. But the older I got and when I became a teenager, that was the dream, you know, that was the thing I I wanted to do was to write songs, perform, but it didn't seem attainable where I lived. You know, I mean, Mm. I lived and grew up in, like you said, it's a town, a little town called Oldham that's near Manchester. It's a very sort of working class Northern English city that, 
you know, a lot of great music has actually come from that part of the world, but I think a lot of it came from the struggle. You know, it wasn't an easy place to grow up in. So for me, music, it was the daydream, you know, and that's what still all these things are for me. It's it's like the respite from quote unquote real life. And it was the thing that sort of kept the hope alive. Yeah. And were you doing it just for yourself or did you have aspiration at that time that you would take it further? I mean, you know, it's always the dream to take it further, but I realized that maybe where I grew up, it was not going to happen. So when the opportunity arose for me to become a model, I realized, oh, this actually could be my ticket out of here. So then I can um, mm. focus on all my, this dream, but also I could actually get out of here. That was really just the, the biggest thing for me growing up. I just wanted to leave, you know? Yeah. I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I was always just very left of center. Mm. And becoming a model, it was sort of like dangling a carrot in front of me. Right. <laughs> but I also had the foresight to realize that, you know, I'm going to bite this carrot because it can take me many different places. And music was always in the back of my mind, mm. always that that's what I, you know, on top of many other things, but that was really where my heart was at. Right. And you also speak quite often to when you first entered the modeling world, how you still felt like an outsider and an oddball, so to speak, within that world. Yes. We all have our stories in life. You know, we all have our certain specific challenges that keep coming up and whether it's just these lessons that we have to keep learning. But for me, feeling like an outsider has definitely been a theme but mm -hmm. as I've got older, it's also been the thing that has pushed me forward, but it's also been the thing that's made me stand out more. So it's almost, you know, when I was younger, I would view being an outsider as sort of this sort of terrible thing. Like, why doesn't, why do people think I'm weird? Why do, mm -hmm. why do I still not fit in? Even when I was a model, I still felt like, oh yes, I'm not the sort of classic, beautiful blonde. I'm this sort of, you know, funny looking redhead. And again, that's the thing that's made me successful in life is not fitting in. Mm -hmm. And it took me to get to my late 30s, early 40s, to kind of have this aha moment where I went, I've been fighting this my entire life, but this is the thing that makes me me. And the moment I started to embrace the other, the thing that I was so afraid of, which was being different and feeling like I was misunderstood, mm -hmm. it was a relief to kind of go, okay, actually, this is what makes me kind of, you know, interesting is the fact that I don't fit in. You know, when you're young, it's the pressure to fit in is extreme. I see this right now, having two teenage children and sort of living it again through their eyes. It's emotional. Oh my God, it's hugely emotional. But like I said, it's, it's funny because it's always, if you could go back to your younger self, what would you say? And for me, I would wholeheartedly look at 16, 17, 18 year old me and go embrace the difference. Stop feeling like you're misunderstood. You are. And that's awesome. <laughs> yes. And look, it not only gave you a thicker skin, but it also served you in your creative life. It Absolutely. gave you content. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, I was saying earlier, like the path, it's never what you think it's going to be. And there's been moments in my career where I've had to 
take a stand on something that might not be very popular at the moment or say no to a job because my gut tells me that that's not for me. Or even writing this book, for instance, it was a definite experiment in self-belief as well because you know, it wasn't like this book was presented to me. Someone said, oh, Karen, you should do a book. We're going to help you do it. It was sort of something in me that sparked my own curiosity that I went, I want to write down my story. And I met with the Rizzoli publisher, Charles Myers, who's a wonderful guy. And we sat and talked about what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do something different. But again, I had to believe in myself And I think at first some people are, you know, in my business were like, oh God, it's going to be another book of photographs from a model. That's not very interesting. And I knew, I'm like, I'm going to do something that's different and I'm going to do something that's vulnerable because that's what we need to see. That's what I need to see. I know Mm -hmm. the young women that I work with or the models that I work with, they are multifaceted, interesting women. And in a way, the photograph is a beautiful thing, but it's never the complete picture. You know, you get the picture, but do you really get the full picture? And right. I felt it was important to show the depth behind the scenes because there is a lot of that. And this thing as a woman, how we're always just quantified and put into our boxes, especially when you're a model, you're just sort of viewed as sort of a vague, beautiful creature. Yeah. <laughs> and the women I know, I mean, you think of Christy Turlington Burns, you think of, I think of Amber Valletta, Kate Moss, Alec Weck. They're all such dynamic women who all have such an incredible life path and story to tell. And that's, the thing that makes me excited about fashion is those women and those stories. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere that you really love to read autobiographies and that you like to (laughs) understand. Yeah, I do too. I like to understand what other people's creative process is because I think that it just somehow just allows you to find your own way in in a clearer way. I wanted to ask you, you create art in multiple ways through modeling and through your music, but one is almost more external versus the other one being more internal. And I'm just curious about the similarity in those two processes. If Is it like exercising a different muscle for you? Is there some sort of common thread? So music is much more introverted for me. It's much more about the sort of things that are stirring inside and much more quieter in a way. You know, it's me sitting in the office where I'm talking to you now with a guitar, trying to find some chords that strike the mood that I'm feeling, trying to find the words that capture this feeling I I need to express, you know, and that's an Mm -hmm. introverted experience. It's, It's something that, you know, it's almost reaching out and hoping that lightning will, like the lightning strike of inspiration will hit or that you'll be able to sort of summon up you know, these feelings and find the words and music that fit exactly, you know, how you're feeling and what you're trying to convey. Fashion, on the other hand, I get on set and sometimes I have to be the performer, you know, so I have to command the stage, so to speak. I have to get in front of the camera and and emote, you know, or let some kind of light shine. And it's a much more extroverted experience, but 
the common thread between the two is that there are moments, you know, and I think of the photographer Peter Lindbergh, who so tragically passed away last year, but he was such a phenomenal photographer. And he, I always felt like his pictures captured the depth of women. And when I would be in front of his camera, it was an introverted experience because he wasn't asking for me to put on a mask and act like this larger than life thing. He wanted me to sit there and which yeah. again is such a, uh, it's a vulnerable thing to sit in front of somebody with a camera who is just wanting to capture something in you because that makes the photograph powerful versus standing, say, on a high, very high fashion set where the more sort of diva-ish you are, <laughs> mm, yeah. you know, they're like, oh my God, I love this. But that's really not actually my personality. You know, it's a mask and it's a mask I can wear because I can do that. You know, it's like I always say modeling is like shape-shifting sometimes. Mm, I, I, I get that. to work and I have to shape-shift. Today I'm going to be this woman. Tomorrow I'll be that person. Where music is, you know, it's very authentic. It's, I couldn't fake music if I tried. I couldn't sing a song if I didn't like it. You know, I couldn't record a song if I didn't feel a specific connection on a soul level to it. So it's, you know, I, I know you're asking me for the similarities and unfortunately they're not a ton, but there are those moments when you're in the presence of a, a master, you know, like a master creator, a, a photographer, like, like I said, Peter Lindbergh, Stephen Meisel, Tim Walker, where they just capture something in me that is genuine. Even with mm -hmm. it, with all the smoke and mirrors, there is my soul in there. I love that. I mean, yeah, I asked about the similarities, but I also think that they can be also very polarizing. And I think that's what's really interesting. I mean, even in the way that they're perceived, because if you think of somebody looking at an image of you that is fantastical and absolutely beautiful and emotive, right. it's also not attainable to the person that is, they can't necessarily know what that feels like. Right. But your music, on the other hand, is universal in its emotions that everyone can connect to. So and that's the I power of music, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's the, I'm such a music fan at the end of the day. And that is exactly the reason why what you just said, it's so universal. You could be having such a terrible day and, you know, I could go and take my dog for a walk and, you know, listen to music. And that one song will just lift me from where I'm at or, you'll listen to a song and it will just pull your heartstrings in a way that you feel a kinship to it. And that's the universal power of music is that it makes you feel less alone in the world. And that is so powerful to me. Absolutely. And that's why I liked it when I was young, because it took me away from feeling like an outcast. I could listen to a song and go, oh, this person understands me. <laughs> Without mm. even knowing that person, they understood the feeling. Yes. So you had this crazy, and still do, this crazy larger-than-life career. Yes. But were you still saying to yourself, but I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter? Like, was there a long moment in time when you really wanted to unleash to the world what was going on internally? Because 
There's so many people that have a talent and a passion that they so desperately want to unleash onto the world, but they never find the courage to do so. So I'd love for you to kind of speak to those steps that you took in overcoming insecurities or uncertainties and, you know, kind of stepping out onto the music stage. Oh my goodness, there's so many of them as well, you know? I mean, I was riddled with insecurities and imposter syndrome before I put out my first record, you know, I've been collaborating with people on music for a few years when I lived in New York in my early 20s and singing on other people's records. And there was definitely a little community of people who were all encouraging me to start singing more and to start creating more. But I think the first few years I felt like an imposter. You know, I was like, I love this, but nobody will take me seriously. They just know me as being this model. And I felt like for me to do anything but the thing I was successful at, people might laugh at me or people might think that I'm a fraud. And that fear really crippled me for a long time until I just had to, I think having kids in a way made me realize I better do these things now, you know? Because I, I, I think when you're a mother, you look at your children and you sort of go, I want them to pursue their hopes and dreams. So why am I not pursuing my hopes and dreams? And yeah. it sort of put a lot in perspective where I went, okay, I'm in this life right here and now. I might feel terrified, but I've got to jump in. You know, you're on the top of the diving board and you're looking down at the water below and you think, oh my God, I'm so scared. Can I do it? And you just have to do it. You have to take a leap of faith. And that's what I did was take a leap of faith. And it was scary. And there was so many moments I felt, oh my God, do people take me seriously? And then there's also a case for this. Why am I giving so many other people the power to validate what something that I love to do? And I had to really go to bat with that and go, I know my intentions are true. I know that this is a calling that I have in my soul that I have to act on. And there'll always be people who get it. There'll always be people who don't get it. And Again, this is hindsight of wisdom and getting older now that I, I understand yeah. that. But when you're younger, you kind of want to be understood, right? And it, it was a journey and it was a leap of faith. And it, there was definitely many moments where I felt that modeling eclipsed my music and maybe people would just view my music in, in ways that they didn't take it seriously. But, you know, again... If you're going to live your life worrying about what everyone thinks, you're never going to get anywhere. You know, sometimes you just have to roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to do it. Same applies for writing this book. So many people, I'm sure, especially in my business, were like, oh my God, you're going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a few of those comments too, like, oh, you're writing a book? Like, okay. And again, when I started writing it, I went, you know, I'm really going to put my vulnerability into this. I'm really going to try and craft the story where it feels evocative and it feels, you know, it's coming from the heart and that there is a strong narrative to this. And I'd never written a book before. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just followed my heart. And this is in life whenever I follow my instincts, whenever, you know, I talk about the red flame and it's like that, you know, it's a, a flicker of a flame that's inside of me. And whenever I'm on the right path, I can just feel it, you know? And even if people don't believe in me at this point, okay, I believe in myself. Yeah. 
But it wasn't always the case. It wasn't always the case. But again, the metaphor of diving in, you just have to do it because there, I know so many people in life. I've got dear friends who are so brilliant and have hopes and aspirations, you know, to do other things in their life, but they're, they're so afraid of failure. And I've been afraid of failure and I have failed at times and that there has been things that haven't landed the way I imagined, but that's okay. You have to pick yourself up and keep moving on. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I, I found career way later in life and, you know, I tried so many various creative ramblings and I used to just get in my own way. Fear would halt any forward momentum until it didn't. Right. <laughs> and right. I just, and that's really why I wanted to have these conversations because there's a lot of people out there who just have a lot of creative life internally and just don't know how to get it out, how to trust their gut. Right, right. And I'm in a privileged position, I understand. You know, I mean, I have a really incredible support network of people who encourage me, you know, but at the end of the day, I think one lesson I have learned in life is. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. Nobody told me to make records. I just decided I was going to finally make an, you know, an album and then make another one and so on and so forth. Nobody told me to write a book. I knew that it was in me and I had to do it. You know, there's people around me granted who can help bolster these things and clearly I have the privilege of that, you know, but when people tell me no, <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. creatively, creatively, obviously, when when there's something in my like in heart that I need to do creatively, if I hear someone say, well, no, you can't do that. I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. watch me. <laughs> <laughs> and it yes. might be a decade later, but I will still do it. <laughs> Yes. I mean, it, it makes sense that you have written an autobiography because you're always wanting, as a creative, you always want to kind of unearth that creative underworkings of the mind. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about when you were first working on your first album as well. I read somewhere that you would kind of hide in the bathroom and yes. like rewriting music. Yeah, yeah. So um, with, you know, my ex-husband is this phenomenal musician, Jack White. Jack is a, you know, a force and known in the world as this, you know, formidable, incredible talent that he is. And I think, you know, we were married and had young kids and I obviously didn't have a lot of time to myself, but when I did... I'd sneak and hide away. He had this like big walk-in closet and it was the one place in the house that I could get some peace and quiet, which any mother understands those things. Yes. And I would just go and pick a guitar up and I'd just play songs and start working on stuff. And then I guess Jack would a few times like, you know, like hide behind the door and be like, what is she doing? <laughs> and then one day basically burst in and went, you're writing songs. Why are you hiding this for me? I am a musician. I can give you my opinions on this. And I was like, exactly. I'm hiding because I'm afraid. Like, what if you think I suck? And he just rolled his eyes and Jack is very pragmatic and just went, oh, please, like, let's go into the studio <laughs> and sort of uh, give him a lot of credit truly for that because he sort of was the, his attitude in a way of just, oh, please, we're not going to be having any of that insecure business. Like you just going to go and make a record. It's very black and white for him. You're just doing it, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. no other choice. 
and I, I needed that. I needed somebody again to kind of push me off the edge of the cliff, so to speak. And he was that person and helped me believe in myself, but not by sort of, he was, he's not like a handholdy type of person. He's sort of jump in the deep end and learn how to swim type of person. <laughs> right. And I needed that. Yeah, for sure. We all do. We all, we all need somebody to champion us forward. But when you got on stage, for instance, were you able to initially kind of just lose yourself, but also share a bit of yourself? Oh, at first it was terrifying. I'll be honest. You know, the first few shows I did, I was shaking like a leaf the first three songs. Because again, it's a very different type of performance. Music, like I said, it's so much more vulnerable and it reflects so much more of me versus modeling beings. Like I said, the mask I put on and I, in a way, it's more easy to do that than um, getting on a stage and singing my songs. But then something happened, you know, the, yeah. that feeling of, oh gosh, here I am. I'm in this place that feels so beautiful right now. And after, you know, after my stage fright subsided, because it always does, the first couple of songs, I'm always terrified. And I feel like the ground's going to open up and swallow me. I'm going to play the wrong chord. I mean, I legitimately do suffer, suffer from stage fright, which is interesting, but it's transformative also because yeah. that fear takes you places. It takes you inside and you have to kind of, it's almost like a meditation where you just have to get lost in the feeling in order to perform. All the emotions are transformative on stage, but it's a roller coaster. Wow. So incredible. I ask everyone that comes on the podcast if they can share like the greatest hurdle that as you navigated your career and personal journey, if there is kind of one specific instance that truly challenged you, a roadblock, a fear, something that got in your way, but more importantly, what you learned from it. Yes. So, you know, I mean, there's been several, obviously. So in fashion, when I was very young, um, when I was 19 years old, I was one of the most successful models out there at that moment in time. It was a very big moment. And because fashion is known for being quite fickle and trends come and go, and I was a trend. So the moment, my, my moment in the sun waned, It was quite dramatic. You know, I'd been sort of lauded and adored by the fashion world. And then kind of overnight, they decided they were bored of me. And it was unfortunately a lot connected to do as well with like body image. And, you know, those things are just so toxic that to all of a sudden be held on this pedestal and knocked off in sort of horrific fashion was really quite traumatic. And for a while, I really just wanted to bury my head in the sand and I was ashamed, you know, I was like, I don't want anyone to see me ever again. I just want to like go off and live somewhere where no one knows me, (laughs) you know, and I, I, but then again, I had to go, yep, that really sucks. It's not necessarily kind. It's not fair, but am I going to let this define me or am I going to find my way around it where I can recover from this and thank God I'm really tenacious because my tenacity really helps in these moments because I'll allow myself a little self-indulgence and feel bad because you have to, but I I have it in me where I'm like, nope, I am not going to let this thing crush me. And I've had a couple of those, you know, in, in music as well. I mean, my last record, Double Roses, I experienced just a lot of sort of like toxic masculinity 
around that record and just, you know people in the industry just not being the most sort of kind towards you know a female artist and it really knocked the wind out of my sails for a while and made me just feel like why am i putting myself into the arena if this is what the arena is you know but then i took a little time i debated if i wanted to make music anymore but I always come out the other side and feel sort of like, you know, it's like the lioness, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I am not going to let this situation define my creativity. And I had to find the will to keep moving, you know, and keep going forward. It has been extremely hard at the time, but it's so worthwhile when you come out the other side and go, wow, that was a real struggle. And that was very difficult, but I found my way through it. And I will not let those situations define me ever. I love that. I read a quote that you said, I have this fire inside of me that will always come back. And if someone tries to extinguish it, it just makes me stronger. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. And it's and it's honestly the truth. And, you know, it might not be in the moment when you're going through struggles. I'm human, you know, and I have my moments where I'm think about throwing in the towel. You know, I think any creative person on any given day has moments where you go, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I just want to just want to be a stay-at-home mother, you know, and then the next day I'm like, what are you thinking? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you could not help not to express yourself. It's right. just part of who you are. It is. It is. And like I said, there's hills and valleys and even the lowest of the lows, which any creative person is going to have, you know, we, we just have to find the ways to fly again, because being a creative person, unfortunately, there's going to be, it's, it's not a linear straight road as we started saying in the beginning, as we started yeah. talking. And you kind of have to just prepare yourself sometimes that challenges will be on the way. Yeah. Can you pinpoint a catalyst, this moment where you were able to stand in I am instead of am I with a question mark? Well, so um, I think this book is a great I am exclamation yeah. mark <laughs> yes. moment where I really felt with this book that I've expressed myself, my intentions for this book, I fulfilled them, if that makes sense. Like every sort of when I started to write this book, this was what I wanted to do. You know, this is what I wanted to say. This was how I wanted to express myself. And reflecting on it now, and, you know, the other day I got a bunch of advanced, you know, copies. And I, I'm i such a forward-thinking kind of person. I get things done, and then I'm, like, moving on to the next thing. And I sat with the book, and I was flipping through it. And obviously, I've written it. I've picked out all the pictures. I've gone through every sing single like intricacy that's in the book. I was a part of choosing that. But yeah. I didn't sit down and, you know, aside from when I was looking through mistakes, <laughs> yeah, had really sat and read it. You know, I, I read it to make sure everything I was saying was right, but I hadn't sat down and read it. And after I did, I went, wow all right, I did that, you know? So it was an I am moment. And reflecting on the past 25 years, I really had this moment of truth where I went, wow, so easy in the moment to not see the things that you're doing and just kind of not appreciate it. And it's such a beautiful thing right now to appreciate the past 25 years and to feel truly proud of those 25 years and not ashamed of saying that. 
So yes, that's an I am moment. It's a red flame moment. <laughs> it's so great. I haven't read it yet, but I really want to. And I, I mean, I know how vulnerable it is to put your, your story and your life and your words and your emotions and your inner life, you know, out for everyone else to read. And it's an empowering moment and a scary moment. And yes. when vulnerability kind of comes up for you, how do you usually move past it? Like, do you have any tools or rituals that kind of help you? Well, vulnerability is a big part of who I am. And I'm a big believer in self-care, in therapy, in doing things that can help you know yourself better. And, you know, as I was feeling a little sort of vulnerable and anxious this past week, I had to just jump back into my, you know, go into my toolbox and go, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning and haven't meditated in forever. I'm going to just put on my little meditation music for 20 minutes or so. I'm going to just hit reset and start with all the self-love and self-care practices. During this sort of infinite lockdown, I was working out a lot. And then I decided that I needed to slow down a little because it wasn't necessarily, I had to check my intentions. Am I working out because it's helping me in some way or am I doing it because I feel like I should be, you know? So even self-care, I know that working out is a lot of self, it is self-care, but I even had to check my intentions, if that makes sense. Like I need to slow down. I was like, it's time for me to start doing yoga again. It's time for me to just take like, instead of running for, (laughs) you know, three or five miles, I'm going to (laughs) walk. Yes. And not looking at my phone. I'm sure you watched the social dilemma as I did. And I realized my phone is my Achilles heel. And I just realized I had to slow down a little bit. And like I said, meditation, good podcasts, good stuff that fuel my soul and make me feel connected to the world at large. Because a lot of us are feeling very disconnected because our lives are sort of drastically different. And for me, always just getting out in nature. I know it sounds so hokey, but that for me is such good self-care. It's just getting outside and breathing. (laughs) So I was one, I'm sure, of many that watched your, you know, daily singing on Instagram throughout lockdown um, when you would share a song every day. And I'm, I mean, that was so generous of you. And I'm curious if that was to help heal yourself more or other people. Well, it started out at first when we all started getting on our respective lockdowns. I mean, there was so much anxiety in the air. You know, I, I went from, you know, living this life where, you know, my both my kids were in school, they're not in school, I'm helping them with school, it's challenging, everyone's fearful of what is going to happen. And I just picked up my guitar and started just learning how to play songs like I would when I was a teenager. And it was that simple. It was just my escape. It kind mm. of made those moments I could forget about everything and I could kind of go, oh my God, I forgot how much I love this song and oh my, it's really hard to play, but I'll figure it out. And then I started putting them on Instagram and and it resonated, I guess, you know, and it became this mutual thing then where I went, oh, this is actually really serving me and it's healing me and it's making me sort of forget about the heaviness that's in the world just for this one moment. And it seemed to do the same for others. And I think when anything is coming from the heart, especially right now, I feel like we're looking more than ever for genuine connection. I think the Radio Redhead was just a genuine connection I had with people. And it was like just me sharing 
the kind of nerdy girl that I really am (laughs) in my office and these songs that actually moved me, moved other people. And I really appreciate that because it really came from just such a, a place of, oh my God, I'm so terrified. Are you? Yes, you are. Okay, well, let's escape for a minute with this song. <sighs> yeah. One thing I was curious about, were you formally trained in music no. as far as playing? <laughs> no. Oh, no, no. I think my my beauty is my rough edges across the board. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, my, my older brother bought me a guitar when I was a teenager because I was obsessed with music. I couldn't play that thing. I could barely play three chords. I remember just the, you know, when anyone's learning how to play the guitar at first, you you realize how painful it is on your fingers. It's like, oh my God, it's not like I'm going to be like a rock god instantly. This sounds awful. <laughs> right. I'm not trained in any way, shape or form. I am an intuitive human from the beginning to the end. <laughs> oh, I love that. Me too. That's how I got into food. It was just like intuitive. But, but I always had imposter syndrome a little Same. bit. Same. I, I, I have that too. I mean, especially when I'm in the room with like proficient professional musicians, I'm like, yeah, that chord, whatever that chord is, <laughs> like that is a B minor suspended something. Awesome. I like that chord. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm going to roll with it at this point. I'm always trying to improve, to to become better at the things that I love, you know, but I also understand what my charm is as well. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so important for like the youth of our generation to think about. I mean, even, you know, like I was saying to you before we started recording, my son is a senior this year and, you know, he's kind of at times debilitated by this question of what am I going to be when I grow up? And the reality is, is None of us know, nor should we know. And it's, oh, that's okay. It's okay. We're living in this like diverse and ever expanding world of alternative career paths. And it's just so hard for somebody to define what it is that they want to be. They should explore. They should figure out, you know, writing music, learning how to play guitar yourself. Like you just try it all. You don't get to perfection the moment you start doing something, you know? And I think also being blunt, I had that struggle. I had to come through that struggle, you know? My desire to do something great, it doesn't happen overnight. Everything takes work. Everything takes time to figure out how you're going to do something. But if you don't try and if you don't allow yourself to fail or sound stupid, for every song I've written, there's probably 30 songs that I've written that I go, oh, no. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) And that's just what it is, you know? How do you know? Like, how do you know you're not just being like overly critical of yourself? Like, has it, have you ever written a song that you thought was shit, <laughs> but that somebody else was like, that's amazing. And I connect so deeply to that. So I guess what I'm trying to uncover is, you know, how do you know to trust your gut? Or how do you know maybe sometimes that you're just getting in your own way and being overly critical? I mean, I think it's a 50-50 thing, you know? I mean, I think I have a good instinct these days of if something's going to like maybe become a song and there's a little bit of a leap of faith when you're showing somebody a new song or if you're collaborating with someone on a song where you're like, does this sound good? I'm not sure. (laughs) I think, again, it's just for me at least there's a lot of risk taking at the end and going, well, I'm not sure if this sucks or not, but I'm just going to put it out there and see, you know what I mean? But then I, again, I'm very fortunate to have great people in my life who I can get a lot of feedback from. And, you know, especially if it's 
people I've been, you know, I've been writing with other songwriters recently. And it's been a joy to actually have another person to sound things off. A lot of my creativity has been quite insular. And it's actually been so nice to have others to give me ideas and we can mutually exchange ideas. It's actually been such a godsend. Whereas in the past, I think I was much more hesitant to do that because I I felt sort of the slightly pretentious urge for everything to be just all coming from me and I am the creator. And again, getting older, you kind of drop all those notions and go, nah, let me write with other people. This is actually fun. Yeah. And also it takes on a life of its own, right? Like where you start is never where you end up. Like the narrative changes, the emotion changes. And I think that's what's so fun about creating is that you just never know where it's going to land. Yeah. You never know where anything's going to land. We don't know. Nobody knows. Even like (laughs) on any given thing, my book publisher didn't know how this would land. Any album I've made, nobody knows what the reception really is going to be. You know, it's all just a big guessing game at the end. And some people are good at figuring out those guesses than others, but anything you put out into the world, you never know what really is going to happen. Yeah. You've been so generous with your inner emotion through your music, but also here on this podcast. So I'm thank you. (laughs) Really honored to have you kind of share, you know, your journey and your creativity. And I think, you know, a takeaway for me is it's just persevere. You know, it's it's not easy. And I always have a devil and an angel on my shoulder talking to me multiple times a day, telling me all the things I am and all the things I'm not. If you, it, it is just perseverance at the end, you know, and the willingness to be open with yourself to, like I said, fall on your face, get back up again, but also embrace what your heart is telling you to do. Like it, it's such a privilege to be creative and mm. For me, always just following those guiding instincts, it's never failed me once, even if it's been a challenge. Yeah. We need the devil and the angel inside of us. That's yes. that's what makes us complex and the interesting. The duality, and that is. Yes. And, it's, and it's always, we're always walking a tightrope every single day with ourselves. <laughs> Very, very true. Well, thank you. And everyone, you should go buy The Red Flame because it is out now. (laughs) And you can learn more about Karen. And I'm so happy to have had this conversation with you. Thank Thank you you so much. It was such a pleasure. It was so lovely to talk. Thank you. That was Karen Elson, supermodel, singer-songwriter, activist, and author. Thanks for tuning in to More Than One Thing. Stay tuned for new episodes on Wednesdays and be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now. If you enjoyed today's show, I would be so grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review us. And I'd also love your feedback. Which multi-hyphenates would you like to hear on the show? Send guest suggestions or any other feedback to More Than One Thing podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on our newly launched Instagram account, More Than One Thing Podcast. And you can find me personally on social at iSwoon. If you would like to receive the More Than One Thing newsletter, please head over to i-swoon.com and sign up for the newsletter. I'm Athena Calderon, and you've been listening to More Than One Thing.